You want to join me up here? Hi, Ezra. Oh, yeah, he was already there. He's downstairs turning on the computer. We're good to go, Mom. Well, we're kind of, people are still coming in, so kind of delay, trying to delay a little bit, but we'll go ahead and read in preparation. So I'm going to be reading from the book of Isaiah. I think I'll read a couple passages uh, from chapter 60, 61. The main focus I want this morning is 62. So let's hear God's word as we prepare our hearts to worship him. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And then Isaiah 62. For Zion's sake I will not hold my peace. For Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. You shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land any more be termed desolate. But you shall be called Hebzibah, and your land Beulah. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Let us prepare our hearts to worship the one who shines in the darkness. Take a moment of silent meditation and preparation.
Amen. Please rise now as we hear the call of our Heavenly Father. Call this morning comes from Psalm 95, which we'll be singing as well. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands may form the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are his people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so we've been commanded to praise the Lord. Let us do so. Uh, it's hymn 570. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And then we'll be singing Psalm 95. Uh, the, the, the number is B95B. You'll turn with me to 95B. O come, let us sing with joy to the Lord, our Savior, and rock loud praises accord.
Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do come before you. And we hear those, the last words, call to praise and all, but yet we see unbelief. And so we understand that you have called us into your holy presence. And part of that call is to repent, to turn away from the things that attract us, the things that uh, ensnare us, our, the idols of our imaginations, our lusts, our desires. We thank you that you still call us, even though we offend you, even though we've sinned against you, yet you still love us. While we were yet sinners, Christ, you died for us. And so we pray, O Lord, that you would enable us now to set aside everything that entangles us and snares us, the busyness of life, busyness of this week, the temptations, the trials, the failures, even the successes. We commit all of those into your hand. We roll our burden upon you, we, for you care for us. We come to you because you have called us. And what a privilege it is. And so we pray that you would search us and try us and see if there be any wicked way in us, and please remove it far from us. Consecrate us to your glory and service, for we are redeemed of the Lord. And your word says, the redeemed of the Lord shall come with joy into Zion, and so we've come with joy, rejoicing in the forgiveness we have in Christ. And so we pray, O Lord, that you would enable us to honor you, to glorify you. Speak, Lord, from heaven through your word and spirit, and help us to hear and trust and obey. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We have opportunity to confess our sins this morning with a responsive reading found in your bulletin. And that responsive reading comes from Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. I'll read the light type if you could respond in the dark. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, and if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this same, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Father in heaven, we do come to you and we hear your command, which is summarized in that word, love. Not only are we commanded to love one another as, it, as we read, but also, more importantly, we're called to love you first. And you have expanded on that. How are we to love you? With all our heart. But our hearts wander. The centermost aspect of our being is tempted to serve and love other things, even itself, more than you. Call us to love you with not only our heart, but our soul, our mind, and our everything. 
translated strength, but really it's everything else. Everything belongs to you. We belong to you. And you called us to love you with everything. And so as we just stop and think about that, we realize that we have not loved you today with everything, or yesterday, or this week, this past week. We know that we have been caught up in so many other distractions or even temptations and transgressions, sins. We who are called to be holy have not sanctified the Lord God in our hearts. We have not walked worthy of the calling with which you have called us to honor and glorify you in all that we say and all that we do. We have sinned against you. We've offended you. And furthermore, as we read, we also have not loved our neighbor as ourself, or even better yet, as Christ loves us. So we, we do want to get right with you. We, we do want to be honest, confess our sins, acknowledge our transgressions, acknowledge that they are against you. You only have we sinned and done that which is evil in, our, in your sight. Yes, we sinned against our fellow man, but ultimately it's a sin against you. And so we want to uh, depart from them. We want those sins to be covered. And we know that it is only through the blood of Jesus Christ, shed once for all for the remission of sins, that we are forgiven. That you, Lord Jesus, declared our forgiveness from the cross. And you endured the wrath of God, and removed it far from us. You are the propitiation for our sins. And so we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your death in our place, and for the resurrection, and for your ascension, and for your reign and glory, that you are our high priest, and you take even these weak prayers, and you take them to the Father, and you make them acceptable. And so we do look to you, Lord Jesus, as our Savior as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so we pray, O Lord, that you would enable us now with hearts of thankfulness, thankful for what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do in and through us in our lives. We pray that you would receive our praise and thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us do so. Um, If you will turn with me to hymn number 480. Again, this is a hymn that's been is new to us. We sang it last week, and I'm hoping to uh, get it in our heads. Uh, 480, it is basically the uh, Heidelberg Catechism question number one, which is the summary of the confession or the catechism. So 480, I have no other comfort. Let's stand and sing.
seated. Again, the, with that hymnal in, my, in hand, if you'll turn with me to the back to page 852. In the Old Testament uh, Hebrew, the word to read is the word read aloud. Um, is it important and helpful to read aloud? Is it important and helpful to use your, your mouth when you do things, when you study the Bible? Do you ever do that? Do you read the Bible out loud or do you read it silently? Um, is it important to, why is it important, I should say? To use your mouth when you confess your faith. That's the goal. It's the heart, right? But doesn't it help? You've got the mouth, you've got the ear, you've got the eye, multiple sensory um, to get to the heart. Right? And so, Scripture says, if, if we confess him, the Lord, with our mouth, he will confess us. Do you confess the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit as your God? As the one who created you, as we will say, the one who redeems you, the one who applies that work of redemption in your life, who abides with you? Is that not the gospel? Let us together confess the faith. What do you believe? I So when we say that we believe in the, in the one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic church, those are four different attributes of the church. The church is one. The church is universal or is holy. The church is universal. And the church is based upon the Bible, apostolic. Okay. We believe 
that the church is the body of Christ. Church is that which was chosen from eternity. God loved the church from all eternity. All right. Also, you'll find a small half sheet. We're working our way through the uh, perseverance of the saints. Again, I like to refer it as the perseverance of God for the saints. Uh, we're in uh, Articles 9 and 10. We're focusing on those today. We're talking about the idea of assurance in particular. So let us, I'll, I'll read the light type, uh, Article 9, if you'll read the dark type. Of this preservation, of the elect to salvation, and of their perseverance in the faith, true believers themselves may and do obtain assurance according to the measure of their faith, whereby they surely believe that they are and ever will continue true and living members of the church, and that they have the forgiveness of sins and life eternal. This assurance, however, is not produced by any peculiar revelation contrary to or independent of the word of God, but springs from faith in God's promises, which he has most abundantly revealed in his word for our comfort from the testimony of the Holy Spirit, witnessing with our spirit that we are children and heirs of God, and lastly, from a serious and holy desire to preserve the good conscience and to perform good works. And if the elect of God were deprived of this solid comfort, that they shall finally obtain the victory and of this infallible pledge of eternal glory, they would be, of all men, the most miserable. Okay, so, we're looking at perseverance. The assurance of salvation. So where does it say, if you notice on, that, uh, on what you said... Notice number one, it says um, it springs, this assurance springs from faith in God's promises, which he has most abundantly revealed in his word for our, our comfort. So where does it say that? Well, one of those passages is 2 Corinthians 1.20, which reads, For all the promises of God in Christ are yes, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God for us. And so God's promises are sure. They're yes. They're amen. Okay. Truly, truly, of a truth. God's promise is the foundation of our assurance. How do you know that you are redeemed? How do you know that you have eternal life? How do you know well, objectively, outside of yourself, you have God's word, God's promises. Is that important? Is that the foundation of your faith, is God's word, is God's promise? Do you hold on to it? Do you cleave unto that? Okay, I am forgiven. I am accepted in the beloved. Why? Because the Bible says so. I believe in Jesus, 
and I have assurance. I belong to Jesus. We just sang it, didn't we, in the Heidelberg Catechism. I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Number Based on his promises. Secondly, notice it says, from the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Again, that, that one is objective. It's based on him. 1 John 2, 3. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. There's an assurance that's based upon the work of the Spirit, and the work of the Spirit, isn't it the Spirit that enables us to keep his commandments? Do I keep the commandments because I, I, I can do this? How are you doing with that? Do you keep his commandments perfectly all the time? No. Why do you keep his commandments? Well, because the Spirit of God is working in me. He's holy. He wants me to be holy, and he's working that holiness. So the testimony of the Holy Spirit, his, again, is objective. It's outside ourselves, but it does impact us subjectively. And we see it, as I said, witnessing with our spirit that we are children and heirs of God. Romans 8, 16. Do you have the ability to say, Abba, Father, to God, in yourself, from nature? No. He's not your father in that sense. He's estranged from you. But through Christ, do we have the ability to say, Abba, Father, through the work of the Holy Spirit? Yes. He gives us the Spirit whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And does he say, yes, son, yes, daughter? Yes. Does that bring assurance? If he's our Heavenly Father, he's faithful, then I am, and I'm his child, is he going to deny me? No. I'm his child. He loves me. And then notice the third, a serious and holy desire to preserve a good conscience and to perform good works. In other words, inward evidences of the fruit of saving grace. Again, this is subjective, or this is subjective. Again, uh, uh, Romans 8, you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and we keep his commandments. And so, again, that work of the Spirit, who gets the glory when you, do, when you obey? Ultimately, God does, right? Isn't that what you want? Don't you want him to be glorified? If you're already accepted in the Beloved, then you don't need to earn his acceptance. You have it then why, why do you do good works? Why do we do good works? Why? As a way of saying, thank you. Right? Thank you for his glory. Again, finally, it says, if the elect were deprived of these, this solid comfort, they would fi- shall finally obtain, uh, that they shall finally obtain the victory, and thus this infallible pledge of eternal glory. They would be of all men the most miserable. There are those who teach salvation is by works. Do they have assurance? Do you have, if your salvation was based on your works, how do you, uh, would you be sure about that? I don't know about you, but my faith is like shifting sand at times, right? 
Praise God that it's not based on me, not on my works. And also, some argue that uh, uh, we have assurance by perseverance, by human effort. It's my faith. Some have even said, well, um, God justifies us by faithfulness. You ever heard that? We're justified by faithfulness and not by faith. Again, woe. All men would be most miserable. No, we are saved by grace. What? By grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Where do we know this? From Scripture alone. Okay, very good. Let's prepare for the message this morning by once again lifting our voices and praise the Lord using from the heart. And so our hymn is 238. Lord, with glowing heart, I'd praise thee. Let's stand and sing. Let my life show forth thy praise. Amen. Please be seated and 
If you'll turn with me once again to the book of Ephesians, our text this morning, and we come back to chapter 3. We began to look at this uh, last week. We'll be reading uh, verses uh, 1 through 13. Hear now the word of God. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of, to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. The grass withers, the flower falls, but God's word abides forever. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you once again for these words uh, from the apostle uh, Paul, ultimately from the Holy Spirit through Paul, to your people, not only in Ephesus at that time, but also for us today. And so we ask, O oh Lord, that you would speak to us as you did through this letter, and that we would understand and appreciate the mystery that was revealed through the apostles and prophets to the Gentiles, to us, that unsearchable riches of Christ. We pray that you'd strengthen our hearts, as he says, so that we would not lose heart in the midst of the challenges and trials and struggles and battles that we are facing. Enable us, O oh Lord, to rejoice uh, and to, uh, as it said, what we just sang, uh, that truly through our lives, through our words and through our lives, though they may see you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, so we began this uh, sermon last week, and the title of the sermon is Captured by Grace. And if you remember last week, we asked the question of, uh, uh, have you been or are you captured? Uh, right now in Israel, 
and in uh, Gaza, there are many uh, hostages that have been captured by um, Hamas, and um, many are being executed or are dying as Israel is attacking now northern Gaza and attempting to re rescue these that are captured, but um, we don't know exactly how well they'll do. But have you ever considered yourself captured or a captive? Well, again, what did we say in, in Adam? We all were. We're in the kingdom of darkness. That's the state of all mankind. All those people there, if they're not believers in Jesus Christ, whether they're Israeli or whether they're Palestinian, whatever, apart from Christ, they are captured by Satan. They're in the kingdom of darkness. Are you? Are you an enemy of God? That's a hard thing to ask. What do you mean? I'm not at war with God. Well, if you're not in Christ, you are. At least that's what the Bible teaches. Paul has been going through and talking about what it was like to be uh, uh, outside of Christ. We, he talks about in chapter 2 being dead in trespasses and sins. He talks about being aliens of the commonwealth of Israel without Christ, without God, and so on. But he then says, God's grace. And so uh, what we looked at last week, uh, the first point in the outline, did you, do you know the hope of God's calling? We focused in on verse 1, in particular, Paul's calling, and his calling is a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. But he looked at it as positive. I'm a prisoner for you. And at the very end, if you notice, is, uh, uh, verse 13, he says, uh, therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation as a prisoner, because it's for you, which is your glory. Rejoice in my chains, because I do. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And God is using this prison to bring the gospel to people that I wouldn't be able to reach. He says in another letter, the household of Caesar is hearing the gospel. Can you imagine being chained next to Paul as he's preaching and sharing the gospel with people as a guard, a Roman soldier that has to be chained to him? He hears the gospel. He's stuck there. Um, it says that many came to faith through that prisoner situation. That's where Paul is right now. He's in prison. But yet, what does he do? He looks and he sees he has a heavenly perspective on earthly circumstances. And that's the point. He glories that he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. Do you? Do you have that same kind of perspective? Do you have a heavenly perspective on whatever it is you're going through? Woe is me, I'm under the circumstances. Is that a temptation we all have when things go wrong? But yeah, Paul, he has a heavenly perspective. Praise God. This circumstance, these things that I'm dealing with, which are life and death threat. He's a prisoner facing execution, and yet he rejoices because he knows who he is. I belong to Jesus Christ. And not only that, he also talks about that he's a manager or a steward of the mysteries of Christ. The mystery, well, I think he actually explains to us, he says, he's already been talking about it there in verse 6, he says, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. So the, the mystery that in particular he's focusing is 
that God is going to save Jew and Gentile. Now, was it completely a mystery? Or was there passages in the Old Testament that talk about the Gentiles coming in? I read some of those earlier in our devotion before we started the worship service. Isaiah chapter 60, 61, 62, especially 61, speak of Gentiles coming to faith. But it was still mystery because the thinking was, well, yeah, those Gentiles will become Jews in order to be saved. But this was something unique. Chapter 2 in particular, he talks again about through Jesus Christ, he makes peace and he brings Jew and Gentile together as one. That's the mystery that he is responsible to communicate. He is an apostle to the Gentiles. He is a servant or minister of grace by grace. Did you catch that one statement as we read? Verse 7 of which I became a minister, a servant, a deacon, according to the gift of the grace of God given to me. Did you catch that three times? I'll read it again. The gift, grace, of the grace of God, grace, given to me, grace. And then he goes on in verse 8, to me, who am the least who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace, there's number four, was given, number five. So what do we say this, this letter is? It's a letter of grace, right? Here Paul says his identity is the grace of God. Is it yours? Do you live to declare, to thank God? For his grace. Is that why we have the name of the church, Grace Reformed Church? Well, one of the reasons. So my question is, what's your identity? Is your identity found in Christ or in yourself? That's really what it boils down to, right? Who am I? Am I in Christ or am I in Adam? In myself. I live for self. Every man does apart from Christ. Every woman does apart from Christ. Who's your, what's your identity? Who are you? Where do your eyes focus? Second point, moving on. Do you know the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Verse 8. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I don't know about you, but I, when I read verse 8 and I read that first part, doesn't that strike you? Uh, I am less than the least. What is that? How would you describe that? I am less than the least saint. The lowest saint, the weakest member in the church, I'm less than them. Is that humility? Is it because of the grace of God and Paul knows that it's only by grace that he's saved? It's only by grace that he perseveres. It's only by the grace of God. God's personal active involvement in his life, he would go, there but for the grace of God go I. Did he understand this? If he's preaching grace, did he understand that he needs grace, that he is a recipient of grace. That's his identity. 
Yeah, and so what does he do? He says, I'm less than the least in myself. And he goes on in other places to explain why. He persecuted the church. He tried to destroy the church when it was a baby, a little baby, weak and helpless, kind of like what's happening with Hamas, killing babies. Paul was out there trying to kill the church. And yet God was gracious to him. God saved him. He humbles himself here as well. Grace is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. As Jesus said, without me you can do nada. Okay, nothing. Right? Whatever you do apart from Christ is nothing. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Can an unbeliever please God? Someone apart from Christ, can they please God? Not according to the scriptures. Without faith, it is impossible, impossible to do anything pleasing to God. Because it's the kisses of an enemy at best. Though Paul is an apostle and a preacher sent by God, yet he understands so well. Without Christ, I can do nothing. Without faith, it is impossible to praise God. He reminds himself from what he was delivered. One of the, one of the things that strikes me when I, struck me when I was graduating from seminary years ago was... Well, I was afraid. I was scared when I came out of seminary. And you know why I was, I think I've shared this before. Why was I scared leaving seminary? Because I don't know anything. The thing that I learned was the more I learned about the Bible, the more I learned that there's so much more that I don't know about the Bible, and you're going to expect me to know it all. You're going to come to me and ask questions, and I've never thought that before. The more you learn, the more you learn how much you don't know. That's what Paul is saying here, too. He's been given much, but in the process, he's realized there's so much more that I don't know. So that grace actually humbled him, and that grace humbles us as well. Notice the word he uses, the unsearchable riches of Christ. What does he say? I can't, I can't get my arms around it. I can't get it all. I can't search and find them. The riches of Christ is so great, I can't comprehend. Here is Rabbi Paul. Here is a fellow that has at least two PhDs in Bible, if you will, in his training. Yet he says the riches of Christ are beyond him. And yet we learn more about Christ from his writings, and yet he himself humbles himself. What are these unsearchable, past finding out riches of Christ? What are the what are the what is Paul saying? Well, number one, he talks about that Jesus is God. 
Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's God. He doesn't change. Can we search out that fullness of the Gaia? Do you understand that? God became man. God, the Spirit, became man. The infinite, eternal, unchangeable God took on flesh, finite, changeable. How does that, how does that reconcile? Can you reconcile that? Can you explain that? To, please explain it to me. Can you explain it to me? How God became man? It's unsearchable. We, can't, we understand it. We believe it's true, but can, I, can you t- totally comprehend that? No. Will we ever totally comprehend that? I don't think so. What about the glories and perfections of Christ? Can you imagine, again, what, is it, what would it be like to be the God-man walking around, being raised by sinful parents, among sinful siblings, among sinful neighbors and friends, everything, and what, they're, what they do is a grief to your heavenly Father, to your Father, to you, the Holy God. Can you comprehend the perfections of Christ that he fulfilled, all righteousness? He was tempted in all ways like us, yet without sin. He never, he never sinned. I don't know about you. Is that comprehend? Can you comprehend that perfections and the glories of Christ? No. What about the fullness of grace? Comprehend grace? How are you doing? Do you understand the grace of God? I think we miss misthink, misapprehend it. The riches of Christ, that which he possesses himself and that which he gives to us. Do we understand and comprehend what we have in Christ, the riches? You know you're rich. Somebody recently won $1.3 billion in the lottery. You heard about that? You know that you're richer than them? Do you understand that? In Christ, I have eternal life. What good is it to win $1.3 billion if you're apart from Christ? What is it if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Who can give a price? You have eternal life. It's more precious than anything else. How do you know? What is the value of something? What you're willing to pay for it, right? What, would, what did Jesus pay for your redemption? His blood, his life. He laid on his life for you, for your redemption. Is your life precious in his sight? It's the most precious thing. That which he gives. That's what Paul is glorying in here, the riches of Christ. It was a mystery, yes, what? That, that you and I, Gentiles, would be fellow heirs with the Old Testament people of God and partakers of the promise of Christ. Remember we talked about earlier, how, is, how important is the promises of God in your assurance that you are saved? It's the basis. Is that rich? Is that your riches? The answer is yes. So what are some of these riches? What are the benefits of the covenant of grace? Well, 
How about effectual calling? What did we do? What was the first thing that happened in the worship service this morning as God called you here? Right? The call to worship. But what about the call to salvation? Does the, does the gospel go out throughout the world? Did the gospel come to you? Was that call effective? Well, you're here. That's a good evidence of it. Regeneration, being born again, effectual calling. Is that one of the riches of Christ, that he takes dead people and brings them to life again? Is that a, is that a riches? Is that a blessing? Well, if you don't have that riches, if you don't have that blessing, what are you? You're still dead. You're still an alien. You're still separated. You're still without God, without Christ. So regeneration, the work of the Spirit of God, applying the work of Christ to our lives, and we are born again, isn't that the greatest riches of all? Better than in anything. What about the knowledge of the truth? The promise. Again, our faith is based on it. Without it, we don't have faith. We're not saved. Are you thankful? That's kind of where we're driving. What about justification by faith alone? Do you rejoice in that? What, is, what did Martin Luther say? It's the foundation. What, is, what did uh, Calvin say? It's the hinge upon which the door of religion spins, moves. Justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Is that a rich? Riches. Is that precious to you? I am, I am just as if I never sinned. I am righteous in Christ before God in an era of eternal life. Is that a value to you? What about adoption? Again, I can go to God, the almighty maker of heaven and earth, and say, Father, our Father, my Father, adopted by him. What about church membership? Huh? Inclusion in the body of Christ. Is that important? Is that a riches? I belong to Jesus and his people. Does Jesus love his church? Does he wash her? Did he redeem her? Does he care for her? Does he love the church like the bridegroom loves the bride? And the answer is yes. I, and I am included in that. Heidelberg Catechism, question number 55, speaking of the church, says it this way. Actually, 54. What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church that out of the whole human race, from the beginning to the end of the world, the Son of God, by his Spirit and Word, gathers, defends, and preserves for himself unto everlasting life, a chosen communion, in the unity of the true faith, and that I am and forever shall remain a living member of this communion. Notice the focus. The Son of God, by his spirit and word, gathers, defends, preserves for himself unto everlasting life. Is that a riches? Is that rich? Is that a benefit? That Jesus gathers together his people, his communion, his church. He defends her from all attacks, and he preserves her for himself. 
and that I am and forever shall remain a living member of this community. Isn't that assurance? Isn't that perseverance? Isn't that something to thank God for? What about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? It says that Jesus sent the Spirit. He would go to heaven so he could send the Holy Spirit who dwells with us and puts up with us and takes care of us and convicts us and cares for us, personally lives with us, indwells us. Is that riches given to us in Christ, that we have God walking with us? As we go to school, as we go to work, as we're at home, wherever we are, the Spirit of God is dwelling with us, and he is preserving us, and he's taking care of us, the riches of God. What about sanctification, the work of the Spirit? What about glorification? These are just a few of the many, the many riches, as Paul says there. We can't comprehend them all. My question to you is, how does this knowledge affect you? My hope and prayer is that it overwhelms you. I'm overwhelmed by it. Hodge, in his commentary, says it this way. Wherefore, because we have this access to God, the sum of all good, we ought to rise above all the afflictions of this life and maintain a joyful spirit, since they are the objects of such a redemption and have this freedom of access to God, believers ought not to be discouraged by all the apparently adverse circumstances attending the propagation of the gospel. And he could go on. In other words, does this overwhelm you? If you stop and start to think about what I have in Christ, should it cause joy? Wow. I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I, what does it say in Isaiah? The redeemed of the Lord shall come with singing into Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. We should, is, that, is that your response? Or is your response is, oh, I'm bored. Pastor, when are you going to be finished? My concern is that this has no effect on you at all. Here are the riches of God in Christ. So what? No big deal. I already know this stuff. I've read the Bible. I don't need to read it again. Have you ever heard anybody say that? I've heard someone say that. Oh, I've read through the Bible. Well, why don't you read it again? I've already read it. I don't need it to read it again. No. Is this important to you? It's more important than the internet, your job, your family, your life. Oh, pastor, is that most dangerous? What did Jesus say? I'd rather you be hot or cold. Hot is good, and I think in the context, cold is good. But if you're lukewarm, what does Jesus say? He's speaking to whom? The church. And he's saying, I will vomit you, spit you out. Where are you? Hot, cold, lukewarm concerning these things. Repent. Repent. Turn away from 
that lukewarmness. I don't care. I don't know. I don't see anything of value. My heart prayer for you is this is more important than life, what Christ has given me. My third point, do you know the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? That resurrection power. Again, he says the reason that he is saying these things in verse 13, therefore I ask you, do not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. Do not lose heart. The afflictions of life, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Why should I not lose heart? Because God has a purpose, and that purpose is being carried out in my life. Why is there warfare in Israel? Why is there warfare in life? Is God working his purposes in both? Is he sovereign? Is Jesus on the throne? And what's he doing there? Some people say he's just waiting around for the Father to say, sick him. I shouldn't say it that way. Go. Is that what Jesus is doing? Is he just kind of waiting up there and just kind of observing? He's reigning. Does that mean that his will is being accomplished on earth as it is in heaven right now? We don't understand a lot of why things are happening, but we know that God is in control, that Jesus reigns. Jesus is Lord. We confess that. Do not lose heart. Could Paul be in that position? Here he is in prison and possibly in Rome, and he's facing execution, and it seems like everything has failed, and he writes in Philippians that there are people that are there that are going out and preaching the gospel so he could get killed. There, there are people that are backstabbing him. He's, been, he's there for the gospel. So let's just read that. Um, Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard. This is in Rome. This is among, um, this, we're talking about Caesar. It has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. Hear that? There were some people that were preaching the gospel in order to cause trouble for Paul. Isn't that strange to hear? That happened today. But the latter out of love knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that, in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice and will rejoice. What kind of attitude is that? Praise God that someone is trying to get me killed. These, guys, these people are out there preaching the gospel so that, I, so that Caesar is going to execute me. You have that kind of thinking? Do I have that kind of thinking? 
Thank you, Lord. I, I embrace the persecution, the hatred of, of you applied to me. Is that, that's not normal, is it? That's a work of grace, isn't it? He says, do not lose heart. God is working these things together for good. So what is our calling? Verse 10 of our text. What is our calling? To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. One author refers to that. Do you know that the church is the, is the university of the angels? Ever heard that? That the angels in heaven and the demons are, are seeing the manifold wisdom of God being displayed through us. Ever thought about it that way? When we get to heaven and we sing as the redeemed of the Lord, can the angels join us? Are they redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? No, they never sinned, never fell. They, didn't, they don't have redemption. When the church opens her mouth and sings the praises of God, the angels will stand in silence and learn. When we worship God here, the angels and the demons are learning about the grace of God. In your life, as Christ is working, as the Spirit is working, the angels, the principalities and powers in heavenly places are observing, are being educated through the church. Ever thought of life that way? That's what Paul is saying here. That's our calling. To make known the manifold wisdom of God to heaven and earth. We are the university of the angels. How is that made known? Number one, by our lives. It's God's power manifested in our lives. When you love somebody else with the love of Christ, they're seeing it. Through our words, through our heart, through life and death, in the power of Christ. So in conclusion, what is your identity? Is it like Paul? Are you a prisoner of Jesus Christ? Are you a free man or a free woman? From the world, the flesh, and the devil, but yet captured by grace. My prayer for you is, the answer is yes. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, we do come before you, and we thank you that your wisdom has been revealed to us through the gospel, and your wisdom is being revealed to all of heaven and earth through the church, through the redeemed of the Lord. And so we pray that you would enable us by word and by life to be instruments of the revelation of the unsearchable riches of Christ that was once hidden but is now revealed. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us respond to God's word by giving of his tithes and our offering.
Father in heaven, we do praise you, praise you, praise you, praise you. You are the God of grace. We thank you for this ability now to give back to you a portion, acknowledging that the ability to work, opportunity to work, the ability to prosper, all come from your hand. And so we give back to you a portion, acknowledging it all belongs to you. We belong to you. All that we have belongs to you. The earth is yours and the fullness thereof. And so we dedicate again this portion, and with it ourselves, we consecrate ourselves to your kingdom rule. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we pray that you would use us, use our lives, use our breath, use our resources, whether it be time or money or possessions or friendships, whatever they are, whatever these manifold blessings that we have, use them for your revelation, your glory. We do also ask that you would provide for us the things that we need. We are in need of your grace every moment of our existence, and so we ask for that. We have many prayer requests in particular listed in the bulletin that concern us and our church and the world and the unbelievers. We do pray, O Lord, for the gospel to go forth through us. We are in contact with people that are facing hell and death, eternal damnation in hell. We pray, O Lord, have mercy on their souls and use us by our lives and by our witness, by our words, that we may be a reflection of Jesus Christ in their lives and they would come to the light and be saved. We pray, O Lord, for that work of sanctification in our lives, that perseverance. We thank you that it is based upon your word and your, your promises and your promises are yes and amen. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would strengthen us, that we may truly have that assurance, work of the Spirit in our lives. We do lift up to you those who are either recovering from surgery or are facing various sicknesses, even to the point of uh, cancer, as is mentioned, receiving treatment for cancer. We pray, O oh Lord, for your mercy and healing and help in those who cannot help themselves. We can't heal ourselves, but you can. You are uh, Rafa. You are the healer. You are the great physician. O oh Lord, have mercy and heal your people. We also lift up to you the uh, church in Minot. We thank you, O oh Lord, for raising up and, and giving uh, Reverend Kevin Pulliam as their pastor in answer to, to our prayers and the prayers of your saints, as they patiently waited, I think it was over two years, for a pastor. And so we thank you for his installation service uh, this Friday, and we pray your blessing upon that body of Christ there. Bless them and cause them to be effective in their witness. We do lift up to you our brethren in Weezer, Idaho. We thank you for the reception of the uh, Reese family, and we, as we prepare now to receive two more families as members here as they are establishing more and more a presence 
and being under oversight and the desire to uh, see a church there in Weezer, Idaho. We ask for wisdom uh, concerning the things that uh, need to be put in place. Uh, we do pray, O oh Lord, for uh, an effective outreach. We pray for those who are struggling, uh, the visitors concerning the things of grace. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would continue to add to their number, guide and direct them, and help us, uh, the consistory in particular, and the whole missions committee of the Northern Plains classes as we come alongside and help them. And, and we do pray that you would raise up and provide a pastor for them as well. We lift up to you the open pulpits in the RCUS, and we ask for your provision. We thank you, O Lord, for uh, the, the answer to prayer for Manhattan, Montana. And, but yet there are as many adversaries or there's challenges as the pastor has been called and examined and passed, but now the State Department has to allow him to come from South Africa and to take up that role. We pray that you would speed up that process for him and that you would bring that man to, and his family to the States to be able to pastor uh, the church there in Manhattan. We lay before you the cares and concerns that we have. Uh, we may not have friends or family there in Israel or there in Ukraine or in other places where war is going on, but we, we are uh, grieve with the losses of life on both sides, especially those who know you not, fall death into a Christless eternity. O oh Lord, again we pray, have mercy on their souls. We pray these things in praying the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, let's close with uh, hymn number 248. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. Let's stand and do so.
Is that him based on Scripture? Is that just the fanciful imagination of St. Francis of Assisi? Or is it biblical? Knowing me, knowing my question, the answer is yes. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The affirmament shows forth his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech. Night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. And he goes on to say there are words. All creation is declaring the glory of God. Isn't that what that song is saying? The sun and the moon and the stars are all praising God. The music of the spheres, another hymn says. But also, do you notice in the hymn, it brings us in there as well. He delights in our praises, our thanksgivings throughout the day. Receive now God's blessing and benediction that we may go forth and be praises unto God. Now the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. for just a moment for the announcements. I'd like to welcome everybody and invite you over for coffee fellowship after the service here. We will have a, a children's Sunday school. Uh, Morgan will be leading that upstairs.